On today's episode, I talk about, of course, Bitcoin, fundamentals, price, mining, futures, all sorts of things. But I also touch on the second half of the show, I get into uh, kind of financial things, uh, global markets a little bit, uh, things happening on Wall Street that will affect Bitcoin. So it's it's a well-rounded show. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Linder. If you like this kind of content, go on over to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash donate. There's a list of ways, free ways to support the show, as well as, uh, you know, donations for Bitcoin and PayPal and ways to join the Patreon, etc, etc. Appreciate everybody that does support the show. While you're over at the website, go ahead and sign up for the free report that comes out every Friday and, uh, has a rundown commentary as well as charts and everything of what I see is going on in the space. So, all right, let's get on with the show. So prices have been pretty steady, believe it or not. A little bit of sell-off. There's, you know, a lot of talk about back and forth on these kind of um, fractal patterns that we've been seeing. Um, right now, we're kind of stuck in this uh, resistance area with lots of different... Um, moving averages above us, trend lines above us, but we have a really solid support um, underneath. You know, 3,000 is showing to be a very solid support. While the altcoins are making new lows or testing their lows, um, Bitcoin is, you know, still $400 off its lows. So um, Bitcoin has been holding up very nicely here. We're also pressing today. I mean, if we go up here right now on Bitstamp, we're 34 37 and um, if we keep if we go up a little bit more from here we're actually breaking a resistance line so uh, we could see some follow through from that um, to the upside but overall we are pinched in between the resistance and support so do we go up do we go sideways you know do we go down um, I don't know but uh, there's some good news I mean every day it seems like there's more good news in Bitcoin land so I am not worried about a major sell-off like another 50 percent sell-off um at least anytime soon because the fundamentals are are too good at this point now all coins are a different story of course and i've actually been um i don't know focusing on this the altcoin side a lot more over the last few months because i really think that the market needs to have a cleansing of the altcoins and i mean Bitcoin has these use cases. I mean, there was just another study out about the darknet markets and the volume of Bitcoin on the darknet markets doubled in 2018. Um, it, the usage of Bitcoin is going up so much, however, that uh, over the last few years, darknet market usage has gone from almost 10%, I think like 7 to 10% uh, of the transactions down to less than 1%. So even though we've doubled the volume uh, going on the darknet markets, we have shrunk the share that the darknet markets get. But Bitcoin serves the underserved, right? And um, censorship-resistant transactions, that is the closing of the loop here uh, on Bitcoin. So we have censorship-resistant payments for censorship-resistant use cases. And the biggest value-add use case is, of course, hodling. 
But we do close the loop with mining and with, you know, darknet markets or um, the porn industry or, uh, you know, other underserved people out there. Now, you can't say the same about these altcoins. So these altcoins are have big, big claims, but they don't close the loop like they're not used for anything. And even now today, like a lot of people are talking about this maker, maker DAO and die and all these complications that they're doing with DeFi, the decentralized finance on Ethereum. The biggest decentralized finance app out there is Bitcoin itself, um, followed by Lightning Network. That this this MakerDAO and this Dai, talking about over collateralizing and locking up Ethereum, uh, that is what happens in a Ponzi scheme. So in a Ponzi scheme, all is great because new investors pay early investors. And that can work as the price is going up. But as the price is going down, there needs to be some sort of scheme to keep these early investors from selling, you know, to keep the Ponzi going. And at this point, what they're doing is they're lock up Ethereum and uh, get some maker tokens or some uh, die tokens. So it's it's an extension of the Ponzi. Um, of course, this can continue until, you know, the price just drops because if you're not closing the loop right even with die with these stable coins there's nothing trading against it i think on some of the decentralized quote-unquote decentralized exchanges on ethereum they're not decentralized um, but on some of those i think they have die trading and stuff like that but overall there's no closing of the loop so it's not a self-sustaining economy it's just a delay tactic okay and by locking up the Ethereum, you can kind of keep people from selling it, keep the price up for a while. But eventually, like there is, you have to close that loop somehow. And now, I mean, they don't understand this. They don't understand this. And, and we can see this, obviously, by the POS, the proof of stake. So in proof of work, the miners have to spend the tokens that they mine, right? So they spend, say, $5,000 to mine $6,000 worth of Bitcoin. And they have to spend that Bitcoin. They have to turn that uh, Bitcoin into cash to pay their bills, and then they spend it out into the economy. Okay, so there is a circulation pressure in proof of work. But in proof of stake, there's no such thing. There is no closing of the loop. And these people don't understand that concept. And now this gets this kind of um, gets hits on this point though about spending, and a lot of people think you know that the money or the value comes from spending, which is not the case either. It's this uh, balance that you have to have. So you have to have people want to hold your token. Most people have to want to hold it, uh, but you also have to have some necessity to spend, okay, and an ability to spend. The value is not driven by the spending. That is the spending is what closes the loop and makes it a circulating economy. Okay. Um, and in Bitcoin, even a small amount of circulation is enough to close the loop. But they don't have, they don't even have that on these other coins. So I had a tweet out there that got the Ripple Army going and it, it just basically pointed out. Some of the things that lack in the Ripple community that I would think would be there in a, a real project that's worth double-digit billions. Um, 
One of them was robust academic research. Okay, so in Bitcoin, we see all of this research happening, Taproot, um, Schnorr, uh, we see Lightning research, we see all sorts of stuff going on, and Dandelion, um, CoinJoin, go on and on and on. There's a bunch of research by independent people from around the world. And when you go to these academic uh, institutions, and you look at like some of the research coming out of there, most of it is Bitcoin, with some of it blockchain, okay, but none of it is Ripple. So that that is a very uh, glaring hole. Like, if it's so great, why is there no academic research around it? Okay, another another thing I said is like, we don't know many real life people in, in Ripple, right? So they have these this uh, Twitter army, but uh, where's the real people? In Ethereum, you have real people. Obviously, there's lots of people out there that go to conferences and people that are starting projects and you can, you know, know a name or a face to a lot of these people. So you know that there's like real people there. Um, in Ripple, we don't see these people. We see a headline front group of people. I would say like hey, uh, Tiff, Tiff Hayden, what's her name? And David Schwartz. And then Nick Buglius, I think is how you pronounce his last name. You see a few of these people. Um, headlined Chris Larson, I think is in there too. So you see a few of these insiders that are out in the public, but you don't see anybody else in their community. Um, I met the only person I've been in this space for a long time. And I do try to avoid blockchainers and scammers and stuff, but I've been in this space a long time. And the only person I've ever met that bought ripple in the last two years is, uh, a guy that just didn't know what he was doing. And he admitted that to me. He's like, I don't know. I heard about this and somebody told me it was good. So I bought it. Right. And, um, he didn't know what is going on. So that's, that's the kind of investors that they have. And, um, the, it lacks, it lacks like a real community, uh, in real life. What was my, uh, another one was robust discussion around upgrades. Like that is, it's starting to come to Ethereum more. Right. But, uh, in Bitcoin, you see like a real community, is uh, very toxic. It's it's a um, it's an open and vigorous debate, and that includes trolling. That includes all sorts of tactics of rhetoric and everything. And you find that in Bitcoin. That's one reason why I love Bitcoin because it can be nasty, but the world is a nasty place. People like these are real people saying real opinions, getting really upset, and that's a good thing. If you don't see that, like in Ethereum for the longest time. It was, um, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And that's not real. I'm sorry. That is not real. Bitcoin is real. And uh, Ripple is absent. Like there is, I see no debate. One of the pushbacks I got on this was, um, hey, you know, we vote on this. And uh, what? Like the largest projects in this space can't get like 5% of people to vote. So you're voting on upgrades. There's no debate. There's voter apathy. These aren't real people voting. Um, and it's just, it's just absent. It's like you look past this facade of Ripple and there's just empty space. And then another question I asked was there's, you know, lack of a mailing list. This is a professional type thing that you should have. Uh, a mailing list for this type of back and forth um, professional discussion. Of, of ideas and floating ideas years in advance even 
that's absent as well. And the pushback I got from this Nick Buglius was, oh, that's great. Why don't you start one? And almost like he never thought of that before. Because there's no demand. There's nobody out there that wants to study Ripple or work on Ripple because it's a centralized database. Oh, anyway, uh, and then the last one I think I had was like, it's just not Byzantine fault tolerant. And I could go into that more later. If you guys want me to talk about that, comment on Twitter, comment uh, wherever you listen to this on my website, whatever, send me a message and I'll comment on how Ripple's not Byzantine fault tolerant. But that's been taking up a lot of my time. Let's get back into the fundamentals of Bitcoin. So price is going up here a little bit, 34.50 on Bitstamp. Looks like we could be starting to have a little bit of a breakout. Let's take a look at what else we have. Futures. Um, this is really interesting to me. So I track the futures spreads on a lot of the different exchanges and stuff. And over the last two or three weeks, we've seen a significant reduction in spreads. So we, uh, two or three weeks ago, we went from like $100 to $120 spread uh, discount. And as we moved down very slowly in price over that time, because we were back at like $3,600 at that time. Now we're at $3,450. So we slowly moved down. The spreads have gotten a lot smaller. Let's see. What are they sitting at right now? They're sitting at... $30 right now, $30 spreads. And when that switches, that's kind of like, you know, people's prognosti- uh, people's prediction of what the price is going to be at the end of that contract. Um, so you can see it was much more bearish earlier, and now it's getting very, very close. And I have a chart in the report that's going to show this exactly, that we've seen a, um, a significant but uh, gradual decrease in the spreads of the futures. So I think that's a very good sign for reaching a bottom here. Okay, what else do we have? Sentiment, longs versus shorts. Let's talk about that real quick. Both have increased. Both have increased, I would say, roughly 10% in the last week. And uh, so we're sitting at 31,000 longs and uh, sorry, 27,000 shorts. So we are at a positive on this, this ratio. The ratio right now is sitting at 1.2. So we do have some shorts to squeeze here, but not as many as I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see a lot more shorts having been added over the last week to give us something to squeeze, but there isn't a bunch out there. So for that reason, um, we are going to be bouncing between this support and resistance. I don't think this is like any sort of final breakout. This is a... Uh, just a signal that we're not going much further, at least at this point, due to the this type of uh, retail sentiment that I see out here. Okay, next one. Let's take a look at mining. So we did have, uh, if you guys follow my Twitter, BTC, MRKTS, Bitcoin and Markets, you will get the updates real time. Like this one I was actually watching, I, I checked it and they're like, one block. So I just waited until that block went and then I tweeted out the the change in difficulty here. So it did decrease very slightly, 1.18%. And it seems to be making a comeback even more now. Right now, uh, it is estimated to be a 1.4% increase. So back pretty much being even over the last couple weeks. And that definitely shows with the price. And like I said, the margins of the miners are very, very small right now. So the hash rate will follow uh, the price. 
And uh, as the price has slowly drained off, then the hash rate slowly drains off. Uh, but it looks like we might be having a little bit of a price increase in the next few days. So the hash rate is a little bit of an increase as well. I think this is very, very healthy. And just wait till uh, the hash rate cannot keep up with the price. So the price can double overnight, basically. Bitcoin has seen multiple times where the price has moved 100% within 24 hours. Uh, but the hash rate can't. Right. So the hash rate is always going to be lagging once we start really going on a bull mark, uh, a bull run, bull rally. And then it takes a while to catch up. So, but right now this is um, very, very tight with the margins. The distribution of miners, uh, I looked at that the other day. It's as reported, it's very, very distributed right now. Probably some of the most decentralized mining we've seen in a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say on this front, Bitcoin has not been healthier on the mining side in years. So very, very uh, excited about this aspect of Bitcoin. All right. Let's talk about traditional markets a little bit. I, I teased this a couple weeks ago that I was going to do like a whole show on just traditional markets, but I realized that <laughs> this is a Bitcoin podcast and most people are listening for like Bitcoin related things. So I'm going to touch on a few um, news items and uh, Bitcoin related news items, but then also some ma just major traditional news. And hopefully, hopefully you guys uh, get some value out of that. So let's start with this ETF. So the ETF, the it's a CBOE VanEck partnership. They went and created this ETF and any ETF that's been submitted so far, like this is probably the one that's going to get... Um, approved out of all of them. But during the government shutdown, they didn't want like an an automatic disapproval. So they went ahead and withdrew their submission. A lot of people and I was I thought the the price would crash, but it didn't. I mean, people this the demand out there is very solid at this level for Bitcoin. Even in the face of some this was the worst news in the last probably 6 months and the price I think went down 1% or 2%. So very good sign. So now, after they a couple weeks ago, they withdrew it. Now they've resubmitted it with the United States government opening back up for business. So this is a good sign. That, that's, that's something good coming out of this. And I haven't looked at like if there's any major differences. I'm going to assume that there was no real differences between this submission and the previous one. Maybe a couple different wordings or something. But uh, yeah, this is... Um, they seem to be generally optimistic. So I had turned kind of bearish on this, um, but now they kind of reset the clock. So I do think that this submission will get approved eventually, but you know, now they can have new delays on it and they can have, they can go for another year now. So um, this one will be approved, but it's, I don't think it's going to be approved at this first round there it'll probably be approved later in the year uh, maybe towards the end of the year we'll have to see i haven't done a lot of uh kind of digging onto the dates to see what we have here for this new submission another news item for kind of bitcoin uh, big wall street news here is uh fidelity the, so back in october fidelity announced that they're gonna have a bunch of bitcoin related products for their customers and now they've announced their first product, which is just simple Bitcoin custody. I, I don't know the details of how exactly they're going to be 
uh, storing these coins, but they, I'm sure they have uh, some cold storage stuff worked out. And there's a lot of this, this whole space of custody has really grown with Casa. Uh, Gemini has a, a thing doing that, Zappo, of course, and others. So, but in there, in this article I link in the show notes, they can't help themselves. They have to mention Ethereum. <laughs> that Ethereum custody is going to be their next app, right? Let me ask you, if you're going to be holding Ethereum with Fidelity, are you going to be able to stake it? Are they going to be able to stake it? Are you going to be able to invest it in MakerDAO? Are you going to be able to tie it up and lock it up? No, you're not. It'll be tied up, locked up with Fidelity, but this is not what Ethereum wants at this point, in my opinion. Plus, I don't think this is what anybody else wants. Look at CME. Uh, they launched features December 2017, so it's been over a year. Still no Ethereum features. They uh, had been talking about it for a year previous to that. So we're talking two years of the CME being involved and still no Ethereum features and nothing like no news. Like there's not like we plan to launch it in November of this year, nothing. So it's not even a year away for CME fidelity, no announcement. I mean, this was just kind of this Ethereum blurb was, um, secondhand. So it's not, it's not even within a year either. This goes to show that Bitcoin has these much larger network effects much larger institutional network effects. And that is where the value is going to come from. Like if I was uh, an investor, a large investor, and I saw these multiple products. So CME, uh, CME features, you have backed coming out, Bitcoin only, Fidelity, um, all of these big things for Bitcoin. And then, yes, maybe you want to like kind of diversify a little bit, but it doesn't make sense if they're correlated, first off. Second off, why are there not products for Ethereum? That's what I would be thinking if I was a big investor. So when they're looking at putting millions or billions in to this space, are they going to, <laughs> are they going to, uh, you know, split it 50-50 with Ethereum? Hell no. Hell no, they're not. It's going to be 100% Bitcoin. Or maybe 75% Bitcoin, 25% like investing in companies in the space. But it ain't going to be invested in Ethereum. It ain't going to be invested in Ripple. Guarantee you. Anyway. <laughs> That's my Fidelity news. Now here is a story out of Korea. And I saw this on Twitter but it's, it's actually pretty big news. So Nexon, Nexon, it's a company out of Korea run by South Korean billionaire Kim Jong-ju. He is the owner of this Nexon. And he kind of started it as a gaming company, I guess. And so they have a bunch of video game investments. They own a bunch of different video games that they make a lot of money on. I think it's it's a $12 billion company. So, I mean, they're doing pretty well. But they, he also... Last year, I think 2017 or maybe 2016, he caught the crypto bug, the Bitcoin bug, and bought Bitstamp and also Corbit. So two, I think Corbit is a Chinese or a uh, South Korean exchange. I'm not quite sure on that. But those are some big uh, properties in the space here. And so this Nexon, uh, this Kim Jong-ju wants to exit. 
he owns, I believe between he and his wife, they own like 80% of this company. And he wants to exit and sell it. They took a bid from, what's the company's name? Tencent. Tencent Holdings uh, out of China. They're a big video game company as well. Now, Tencent said they are interested in the video game stuff, but not in the cryptocurrency holdings that they have. So I don't know exactly what would go on there. Uh, but the the South Koreans are, you know, they have this nationalistic uh, pride. Uh, so a couple companies got together and formed a consortium to outbid for this company to keep it in Korean ownership. And they haven't said anything about the crypto companies, but, you know, it's very popular there in South Korea. So um, I can see them, um, you know, having this package deal. Now, it's a $12 billion deal. And like I said, the owner, Kim Jong-ju, he is a big Bitcoiner. So maybe he wants to sell his companies and buy buy more Bitcoin. I don't know exactly his plans, but that would make sense at least with a small portion. Like say he gets $10 billion out of this deal and he puts half of a billion into Bitcoin or something. I mean, that's that's legit. But anyway, this is, it's an interesting story. I link to it in the show notes. You guys can check it out. All right. Next story I have here is also in that side part of the world. It's uh, out of Japan. Now, Japan has been hit with the controversy in recent weeks. It got released or leaked that their economic data, the model that they were using, was wrong. It had a, I don't know if it was a rounding mistake or they were using some different figure when they should have been using a larger figure for some calculation. I don't know. But uh, they were overstating their economic activity on a lot of these statistics by up to 40%. So if they had a, say, 2% increase in this industry, it was 40% overstated. This could also deal with inflation. So inflation was zero or, or negative. Well, that could have been overstated by four, by 40% the change. So this has far-reaching consequences. And Abe over there, the, he's the central bank head you know, is facing some blowback from this. So we'll see what happens. But uh, J- Japan as, as an economy is not doing well. And they have recently really started liking even more than uh, before uh, the Bitcoin space. So I called two years ago when I started this podcast, like one of my first episodes, I was saying Japan is getting in big. And this is before Japan <laughs> did get in big. You know, this was when China was dying on the exchanges and people were moving over to Japan with these exchanges. And I was calling like Japan's influence to grow. And it did. It did. Not as much as I thought it was going to. But it it did grow to the second largest trading pair against Bitcoin. Uh, CNY had been the largest. Uh, USD grabbed that when China went down. But uh, Japan has been the second for a while. So, uh, And I do have some other news about that as well. So Japan has been doing their thing. And um, they recently passed some new regulation around... um, trading and then coin check one of their largest exchanges has now become fully regulated so they're they're doing kind of interesting things over there also blockstream announced a partnership with digital garage they're calling it crypto garage uh, and they are going to be doing something called settle net this is a liquid uh, product uh, the first application is going to be a japanese yen stablecoin which will add a lot of liquidity over there to their exchanges um, and probably uh, just add a bunch of volume to what they're doing. And uh, so that's a good sign for the Japanese market. Also, uh, they have had an ETF submitted 
Uh, so that would be really big. Now, retail investors over in Japan, they don't invest in ETFs. Like in the US, you know, there's a lot of retail people that invest in these ETFs because they're easy. Uh, but over there in Japan, they don't. They, they stick to mutual funds mostly. But the government does buy ETFs. So I think it's interesting that Japan is going to be launching this ETF. Most likely, I think it's easier to get it approved over there probably than in the U.S. So they're, they're getting this ETF launched. And who's going to be buying most of it? The government. This, is, this could be a Japanese government play to start accumulating Bitcoin in a somewhat stealthy way. I mean, it's not going to be super stealthy, but, you know, at least they can uh, obscure it a little bit through an ETF. So if they own 50% of the ETF and the ETF owns... Um, 100,000 Bitcoins, you know, that means the Japanese government owns 50,000 Bitcoins. So it, it's, it's interesting, interesting play. Okay, my last thing I have here is about the Fed. Back in December, the, the relatively new chairman, Powell, he announced that, that, you know, they're shrinking their balance sheet because they had bought a bunch of bad assets and it was up to like four and a half trillion dollars worth of assets. Uh, that they bought by just printing money. So they they wanted to shrink their balance sheet. And, you know, that's that's the way that they actually increase the money supply is they print money to buy assets. And then that new money goes out into the economy. So the, the, the amount of assets they have is pretty much what they've printed, right? Up before 2008, I think their balance sheet was around 700 or 800 billion and now it was it got as high as four and a half trillion so that's they, they printed almost four trillion dollars to buy these assets and then they were slowly letting these assets fall off the balance sheet so the reverse is also true if they print money to buy assets they're injecting new money and if they let those assets fall off their balance sheet they are sucking liquidity they're sucking money out of the economy and that's one reason why we have seen kind of the slowdown in the United States. The stock market sold off. Um, other things around this whole idea of qu uh, quantitative tightening is what they call it now. So anyway, in December, Powell came out and said, <laughs> this balance sheet stuff is on autopilot. So it's just going to fall off on its own. It was up to be, uh, a roughly $50 billion a month, give or take, whatever matured at that time. But they put it on quote-unquote autopilot. Now compare that to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's monetary policy is always on autopilot, right? It is perfect and fixed. I even talked about this in the past with Yellen, that she's jealous that they have to be data-driven and put all of this work into you know, kind of uh, prescribing a monetary policy, and it's never right. Yellen and Bernanke were caught joking about saying that cycles don't just die of old age, they get murdered. And that means the Fed murders rallies. It murders the, the business cycle. When the business cycle is coming up, they murder it. <laughs> so this is exactly what's been happening. This is the kind of the situation we find ourselves in. And I think they're, they're, Deep down or subconsciously, they are jealous of Bitcoin. Just every 10 minutes, you have a monetary policy, right? And they want to, like, look, they're, they're talking about stable coins and all sorts of other things. I mean, they, they are aware of this and they, uh, 
I mean, that is something that they cannot emulate. Um, so, and they're, they're aware of that for sure. So anyway, uh, just a few weeks after Powell said autopilot, it looks like it's not on autopilot. <laughs> so they, they were going to, uh, they're supposed to raise rates two to three times in 2019, um, according to their own predictions, their own Fed predictions, and then another uh, two times in 2020. But they've completely shifted course now. They've added the word patient into their uh, statements. So that means, you know, basically we've stopped, we're stopping this now and it's no longer on autopilot. Uh, we have to be patient. So it's, it's not a complete 180, but it's a 90 degree shift. Okay. So they were tightening. Now they're waiting to see, they're being patient to see what happens. But I think it's interesting because when you look at a chart of the stock market, S&P 500 over here in the United States, you know, right at the bottom, the day or the night, I think it was after the close on the low, President Trump tweeted out by the dip. And the day before, Munchin, Treasury Secretary, he went and called all of the plunge protection team, the six big banks, the owners of the Fed, right? And said, look, we need to basically prop this thing up. So uh, they are completely going after this market to keep it up because if they do continue to uh, shrink their balance sheet and suck liquidity out of the market, I mean, it could be a free fall, absolute free fall in the stock market. So just a lot of things adding up here. I, I think that they've been able to save it for now. We might go into some sort of stagnation or they also, there's reports of inflation picking up, quote unquote, inflation price increases here in the United States. And now are there... At that time that the, we're having price increases, they're stopping tightening. They're kind of backing themselves into a corner. The inflation could get out of hand. And then we're into this stagflation economy again. And in that whole environment, you have Bitcoin. Look at what gold's been doing over the last couple of weeks. It's been rallying. I think this is really interesting. I think that uh, I, I don't think Bitcoin can go down in this type of um financial atmosphere that we have right now um just very very interesting a lot of different things going on around the world that's all i have for today guys thank you so much for joining me my name is ansel linder this is bitcoin and markets if you'd like to support the show bitcoinmarkets.com forward slash donate the free report every friday forward slash report the show notes for this episode will be bitcoinmarkets.com forward slash e148 thank you to all my patrons all my supporters out there all my discord members you guys want to join the Discord, that link is in the show notes as well. And that's it. We'll see you guys later. Peace. Peace.